Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney here. I am so excited because I recently received my latest order from Sock Religious. I ordered the He is Risen socks in order to celebrate Easter. And we know that Easter is not just one Sunday out of the year, but we have several Sundays of Easter that I'll be able to wear these socks as I celebrate Mass. If you are looking for the perfect gift for First Communion or Confirmation, Make it sock religious. You'll be sharing the gift of faith with whoever you gift them to. For more information, find the link in the show notes to order your socks today from Sock Religious, whether they're for yourself or as a gift. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, my guest is Amanda Lauer, and she is an author, and also I know her because she has written several articles for the diocesan newspaper, kind of as a freelance writer for them, uh, here in the Green Bay Diocese called The Compass. In her own life, she has written over 1,500 articles that have been published. She's been married to her husband, John, for 40 years, and they have seven grandchildren. She has a series of books called the Heaven Intended series. There are three books out there today. We're going to talk a little bit about them and uh, also a fourth one in that series coming out in October. She also contributed to the book Treasures Visible and Invisible and has a new book, Anything But Groovy. So it's great to speak to a local person from the Green Bay area today on How They Love Mary. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you, Father. It was so kind of you to invite me to be part of this. I really appreciate it. Yes, it's my honor. And especially, you know, it's great to to have local people on that I personally know as well. And I think that we actually met. So, you know, we never met within the confines of the Green Bay Diocese. We had to go all the way to, I think it was Ohio, maybe, is where... I, I can't exactly I act- remember where no, that Catholic- it was actually uh, Pennsylvania. It was in Pennsylvania. That's yes. right. Lancaster, yep. Pennsylvania. Lancaster. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so we're part of the Catholic Marketing Network, and I was one of the. Uh, keynote speakers for a luncheon that they had that Ave Maria Press brought me out to talk about a heart like Mary's. And that's where we first ran into each other. And we belong to the Catholic Writers Guild. And so uh, they had like a little dinner where we went out to a restaurant and kind of uh, met with everybody, shared thoughts and ideas and, and everything along those lines. So that was where I first met you. And of course, now we follow each other on social media and, and correspond a little bit through social media. So tell me, how did you get into writing novels? Because you have this series, uh, as Heaven Intended, you know, so there's different books in this series, A Life Such as Heaven Intended, A World Such as Heaven Intended, A Love Such as Heaven Intended. So what set you out to write a book of historical fiction? Yeah, that's a great question. So I have been in journalism for decades, um, since the late, oh, 1990s, and I think every journalist has a book in them that they want to get out. And so I I always wanted to write a book, and I love historical fiction. But I also like clean historical fiction, which is kind of difficult to find in the normal marketplace. So I really had my 
a goal that I wanted to write a clean historical fiction book that my kids, my grandkids, kids could read someday. And um, like any project, you put it off, you put it off. It never happens. Life is busy. But I happened to be doing an interview or taking a photo for one of the papers I write for. And the gentleman said his wife was a writer and she actually had a, an agent in New York City. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I really want to meet this woman because I, I, I need some inspiration. So she and I decided we were going to meet like the first the first Wednesday after the new year that year. And what happened is she said, well, I'm going to start a new book. And you say you want to start a new book. So bring me just the first chapter of your new book and I'll bring the first chapter of mine. And it's like it was Thanksgiving week at that time in about the year 2010, I think. And she said, you have until the first week in January, you have plenty of time. And so for like the next six weeks, all I did was fret about this project. Like I wasn't sure what to write on. And finally, it was actually the day I had to meet her. It was nine o'clock in the morning. I had to be at, at a coffee shop at one. I hadn't written one word. Oh my! And so I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I work well under pressure, the life of a journalist. But anyhow, so um, I had interviewed a gentleman for one of the, a different newspaper that I write for. And he had a great story about he how his he had all this stuff in his house from the Civil War because he was like the last descendant of his family and everything had come to him. And he had this beautiful portrait of a Civil War so soldier and he was telling me his story. And, and this had happened maybe two years before this, this writing thing came up. And he, he said, you know, after he told me the story, I, I said to him, I have written or I've read a lot of stories about the Civil War. I love, love that era. It's one of my favorite things to study and to read about. I said, I've never heard a story, and it was his great-great-uncle, this, this gentleman. I said, I've never heard a story like your uncle's. It's so unique and so inspiring, and he was he was a true Civil War hero. And so that, that thought came back to me when it was that morning. I had to have the first chapter of this book, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to write a story about this gentleman and his, his experiences during the Civil War. And then basically what I would do is um, – we had letters, they had his uniform, they had pictures, all sorts of things that I could draw on to start to kind of get the basis of his story. The rest would have to be made up. But um, so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this story about this, this gentleman. And then I realized I started typing at the computer. I'm like, I don't even know how to write a book. Like I have to, I literally went to my shelf and picked up a book. I said, how did they do the, he said, she said thing. And I'm like, okay, I've got to figure it out. So, so I get to the coffee shop. And literally the paper's warm. I just got it off the printer because I did it right before I got there. But that was the start. And so my friend and I, we met together for two years, once a month at a couple of different coffee shops in the area. And at, at the end of two years, she had a book and I had a book. And we both ended up getting them published. Um, for me to get it published, it was a, a little different because um, she did hers as an alumni of her college. They had a program where once a year they'd pick someone and they would the whole class would work on publishing her book. So she got in that way. But mine, I, I just tried reaching out to different publishers. At first I reached out to like mainstream romance, you know, the big people and, and no one had any interest because obviously they didn't know me from Adam. And then I thought, okay, so I tried like two of those. Then I kind of narrowed it down and I uh, approached a couple places that did um, romances, but they were, um, from like a, a Christian perspective. And the only interest they had was if I would change the religion of the main characters. Oh and, 
And I could not do that because they were all Catholic. And there was a Catholic priest who, who a true Catholic priest in the Civil War who helped on both sides, who was, who was a major component of the first book. I'm like, I can't do that. And so then I sent it to a Catholic publisher, and this, this lady held on to it for like nine months, and I couldn't, I couldn't send it anywhere else while she was holding on to it. And then in the end, they, that particular press decided they weren't going to do any more Catholic fiction. So then I had, had my manuscript again, and a, a gentleman I talked to, and I can't even remember where, he suggested this, this lady, her name is Ellen um, Hercash, Ellen Gable Hercash, um, she's from the U.S., but married a gentleman from Canada, so they, she has been living in Canada since she got married, and she and her husband had started a small Catholic press called Full Quiver Publishing, and so I sent her my manuscript, and, you know, like the typical things you need to send, and she, she bit, like, immediately, like I heard back from her right away, and she said, you know, we are interested in, in this manuscript. There's just one thing, and you have to agree to do this, and if you don't, we totally understand. I'm like, go ahead, whatever you say. She said, we'd like you to change it from third-person perspective to first-person limited to perspective. I'm like, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, yeah, for sure. I'm like, what do you need it back, like in two weeks? She's like, oh, you know, it might take a little longer than that because in that sense, you can have to rewrite the entire book. Um, she said, I'll give you like a month or so. So then we, we, you know, I get off that correspondence and I go to Google and I type in first person limited perspective. I had never heard of it. I had no idea what it was, but I agreed to do it. <laughs> and so what it is, is the book is written. So every other chapter goes from the female protagonist and then to the male protagonist. Oh, sure. So our female lead to the male lead. So the really interesting thing about this is, is the books appeal to both men and women because you're seeing the war from the home front with the women. And then in the, the next chapter, you're seeing the war from the, the battlefront from the man. And how in every one of my books, the, the man and the woman are on opposite sides of the war to start. And all the, all the young ladies are about 16 or 17 years old when the, at the point where we, we start the stories, which is in May of 1864. And the stories go for a year. So each book in the series starts the same week and ends the same week. But the people, they all have some connection to each other in each, each of the books. Like one book is about this girl. And then like the fourth book is about her or the third book is about her brother and his experiences in the war. Cause he was um, missing in action for a while. And we go back into his story. And so uh, that became the basis for the book. But to tell you the truth, when I, when I first got that publishing contract, and the whole process from the, the last day I finished the book until the day that I actually saw the book in my hands was like a two-year process. And then what happened is um, the book actually came out in 2014. And like right away, I got a really good reception from people. Um, I've met so many wonderful people through the years through my journalism career, through you know volunteering with the Catholic schools, volunteering with the Catholic church. I just had a lot of people to tap into. They love the book. And one of the first people who read it like that week, within three days, she came back to me and she said, um, when is the sequel coming out? I'm like, sequel? No, I mean, this is like, mom, my life is complete. I wrote this book. <laughs> like, why do you think there's going to be a sequel? So, well, my grandma read this book and she wants to know what happened to Dominic. I'm like, Dominic? Like, I don't know what happened to Dominic. He was kind of made up. She's like, well, my grandma really wants to know. I'm like, how old is your grandma? She said, 
93. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you know how many years it took me to get, it was like a six-year process to get the first book out. Like, is longevity in your family? You think she's going to last a while? And she said, oh, yeah, you know, we have a healthy family. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to write book two. So then I started book two. And the interesting thing was I had to completely start really from scratch because I didn't know anything about Dominic other than that he was the business partner of Nathan from the first book. But what I ended up doing is each of the, the three main girls in the first three books their main characteristics and their personality was based after one of our three daughters. And so the first book was really like our oldest daughter, Stephanie. And then for the second book, I went with our middle daughter, Samantha, and that character had, had her, her name's Bridget. She had our daughter, Samantha's characteristics. And then the third book was based on our daughter, Elizabeth, our youngest daughter. And each of our girls is so different. So each of the characters is so different. They're not cookie cutters by any means. And then for the fourth book, I ended up, um, well, I actually wasn't even going to do a fourth book. I thought, I felt like I was committed to do three because if you do two, you really need to make it a trilogy. And I thought that whole series was done until last year. I was actually approached by several different people from Hollywood, different entities, you know, directors, writers, producers, studios. Also, they just like, started coming out of the woodwork. It was amazing. But a gentleman who owns a movie studio in, in LA said, um, boy, it'd be really great if you did a fourth book, based it on one of your characters from an earlier book. We'd really love to have like a person of color be you, your main character, a really strong African-American female. And so I did. And so this, this character is based actually on a friend of mine, a, a young lady who's, who's um, African-American. And it was great getting to know her and to like work her personality into the book. So that's how we came up with four books. There might actually be five because now I have a fifth idea in mind. So I don't know. I don't think there's going to be much more than that because I have other series I'm working on now too. So Sure. And, you know, I marvel at writers like you, for example, because, you know, people look at me and they're like, oh, you've written so many books. I'm like, ah, I, I write de devotionals. <laughs> so like they're short little meditations for, you know, 30 days or 50 days, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you just sit down at your computer and you can really write one out in, in 20 minutes, 30 minutes if you put your mind to it. Whereas you're writing an entire novel. So you have to map out the characters. You have to know where you're going and what you're intending. And so I admire writers like you. You guys are much better than I am uh, in terms of uh, in the writing world. And, you know, I love that first person perspective. And there are lots of books that I've read just, uh, you know, over the course of the last few years like that. For example, all the light we cannot see kind of is written in that perspective. Or I just read this book called The Authenticity Project. It had like six or seven characters and it kind of just went back and forth with the different characters and how they overlapped and came to meet each other. And it's just a wonderful way, I think, to, to write a novel. And if I was ever going to write a novel, I think that that would probably be the way that I would go just because I know that I so much enjoy them. Now, your title is Such As Heaven Intended. So how does heaven yeah. intend us to live life or to have love or to uh, have a world yeah. such as heaven intended? Of course, I, it's kind of a reminding me a little bit of the Our Father because we pray for thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So maybe that right. was your inspiration. But what, you know, what does that yeah. mean? 
Right. Well, first I should say where the title came from. It's actually from a song from the Civil War that was quite popular then called Minstrel Boy. And it's been the theme song in numerous movies through the years, like Black Hawk Down and stuff. It's such a beautiful, haunting song. But if you get like to the second verse, um, and I just found this by paging through a Civil War music book that my mom had given me for Christmas one year. And I just came across those world, the, a world such as heaven intended. And it just like immediately struck me. And then when I came, when it came time to write the second book, I'm like, I was trying to think of a totally different title. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just change one word in the title. So there's conformity. But what this really means, and this is why I think this, this whole series is so relevant in this day and age is the world, the world that heaven intends, I think is a world of harmony and peace where people find a middle ground. And that's really the theme in all four of the books is that the the male and the female are literally on opposite sides of the war. And they have to find a middle ground in these books and come to respect each other and to work together to help save lives, to help, you know, the, the, the various causes and such. And I really feel in this day and age that this division, particularly in the United States, I think it's sown on purpose by whether it's the media or whoever you want to say is sowing this, but they're trying to cause a divide. And I think if you actually take two people and sit them down for coffee and they just talked, they would find they have a lot more in common than they have different from each other. And even if they say that they're one party or the other, they're conservative or liberal or whatever you want to say, I think we all kind of want the same things in lives. We, we want a better world for our children and our grandchildren. We want safety. We want security. I mean, I don't think anybody would disagree on those things. So if we could just put all the differences aside and concentrate on the things that we all agree on, this whole world would change. But it's up to us to start doing this and to point out the things that we have similar to each other because if you just only watch the news you're going to think that we're all so divided, which I don't think is actually true. What's the difference between Catholic fiction, for example, and regular fiction? And why should a person actually look at Catholic fiction over maybe some of the other bestsellers at Barnes and Noble? Well, Catholic fiction, well, there's a couple of things too. If some people say it's Catholic fiction, if it's written by a Catholic author, which could be true. The books that I write, have all been submitted for the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval. That means that it follows church teaching. You, you're not going to differentiate on anything that the church teaches. And actually, my books too, they are. I usually will have a priest read read the, the script ahead of time before it gets to the publisher because to make sure anything I talk about in the Catholic Church is true and I'm not, you know, misleading anybody. But also. There's priests who actually know the Catholic Church back in the 1800s, and they, they've been amazing. Learned so much from them, like um, this one gentleman told me that I had the girl singing in church, you know, and he said, women did not sing in church in the 1800s. That was for the men only. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I, he pointed out, too, that a song that they were supposedly singing in church, he's like, no, at the time, that was like a Presbyterian hymn. It wasn't Catholic. It turned into a Catholic hymn, like, in the 1950s or something, Um so that's, that's one thing with Catholic, with Catholic writing, per se. But another thing, too, is for me as a Catholic writer, I want my works to be, like I mentioned before, I want them to be clean. 
I want them to be to help people become a better version of themselves every day, like Matthew Kelly always says. All my characters, my main characters, are all striving to be the best people they can be. And this isn't preachy kind of Catholic. This is the kind of Catholic where Catholicism, Catholicism is ingrained in their lives. So they're just living what they feel is best Catholic life they can live and making the best decisions they can every day with the knowledge that they have, but always striving to be a better person and also striving to get themselves to heaven and their loved ones to heaven. I remember years ago I interviewed this this woman for the Compass newspaper that you had mentioned, and she said her number one goal for her children in life was to get them to heaven. Mm. I was so so struck by that because her kids were younger, and you'd think, oh, get them into a good college, do this, do that, whatever. No, it was to get her kids into into heaven. And I have felt that way ever since towards my own four, our own four children, who are all young adults now, and now we have seven grandchildren, including a newborn that I'm visiting this week. And I really, I want them to be in heaven. I want my husband and I to be there, our kids, their spouses, their significant others. I want everybody I love and care for to be there. And actually, I want every human being on the planet to get to heaven. That's why I love the Jesus prayer that you pray after you do the rosary, um, you know, I, I want all souls to, to get to heaven. So I want all souls to be converted. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the Catholic thing. How does it different than a book from Barnes and Noble? Yeah. I just don't go into topics that, I mean, that I find controversial that, that um, the church questions, even though they might all be accepted in this day and age, I, I follow the church's teachings and, so that's what I consider to be a Catholic novel. And again, another thing, too, is I want it to be a novel that my kids and grandkids could read, and I'd be proud to have them read and not feel ashamed to have them read. Now, you've written other books. In addition yep. to this historical fiction, you uh, re- just released a new one called Anything But Groovy, which is a contemporary time travel novel for teens. And so what's that book all about? Yeah, well, this this book, it's kind of interesting. It's for teens, but it is also for adults because it it centers on a teen, a, a young girl who's 13 years old, and she's growing up in the same town her mom grew up, living in the same house her mom grew up in, and one day she gets a concussion, and she wakes up in her room that morning getting ready for her first day of seventh grade and looks around and something is different. Like, it's not the room she went to sleep in. She's not wearing what she wore. She doesn't look like she looked. And she realizes that for somehow or other, she had landed in her mom's body in 1974 when her mom was 13 years old and in seventh grade. And so this, this poor young lady has to go an entire school year living her mom's life, trying not to mess it up too badly, and trying to navigate life in the 1970s and just like, I mean, being exposed to all these things that she may have heard of or may not have. I mean, like record players and listening to the radio for your favorite song to come on or a dial phone with a cord only so long that you can get away from, you know, your parents so they can't hear every conversation. But the interesting dynamics for her is that, so she's living her mom's life. So her uncles are now her older brothers, annoying older brothers, and her grandma and grandpa have now become her mom and dad. 
And so she's just like, it's so eye-opening to see what life was like for her family back then and, and just for everybody back then. But the hard thing for her is because she lives in the same town, some of the people still live there after they've, you know, they've settled there after they've grown up. And she knows what happens to some of these people. And she has to, she doesn't want to mess anything up by warning people that things are going to happen if they don't change their life. So she has to let things happen, even though it's kind of hard at points, because like one story in particular, her best friend, um, the typical teenager, has a lot of headbutting with her dad. She doesn't know that her dad was going to die when she was a senior in high school, because he's going to get cancer. And But this girl does know that, because this girl was, that girl was her mom's best friend in grade school. And she so wants to tell her, be nice to your dad. You're only going to have him for five more years. But she can't say anything because people would think she was nuts for one thing. Um, and she's also trying to make sure she, she lives a life like her mom would have because she doesn't know if this is permanent, if she's going to like change the whole trajectory of her mom's life. So she tries to react to people in situations like she thinks her mom would. Um, but in the end, when she finally does come back to her real life, she just she appreciates her mom. Uh, they have a much closer relationship. And there's kind of, you know, this could lead to another book. So we'll see what was her mom doing while she was in her life. You never know. Um, but the interesting thing about this book is I grew up in, in the 1970s, 1974, I was that age. And I'll, most of the stuff, not necessarily the exact scenarios, but the situations, the things that people did, the places they went, the gifts they got for Christmas, the songs they listened to, all that was taken from my childhood growing up in the Green Bay Diocese in Antigo, Wisconsin. And so really the people who really, really love this book are people from Antigo because they recognize so many things, even though it's a fiction book, but they'll be like, was that, was that St. John's elementary school you were talking about? Was this this? Was this that? And so it's so fun. The, the notes and the letters I'm getting from people are just amazing, including some of my, my teachers who were nuns. And, and lay teachers, too, from my school, St. John's School in Antigo. Uh, it's now called, I think, All Saints School. But it's been so much fun. Like, even my, like, fifth grade teacher reached out to me, and she's like, I don't know if you remember me. I'm like, of course I remember you. How could I forget? Or my second grade teacher, I have to give a shout-out to Mrs. Kalmus, nicest teacher ever, and uh, just changed my life. She was just so amazing. And plus my, like, seventh and eighth grade teachers, um, well, Sister George Ellen, she and I are still friends today, and she loves the books. And then Sister Frances Ann, who was the principal of our school, and also um, the librarian, who I saw a lot growing up because I loved to read. So it, it's really neat that um, to make that connection. And I think anybody growing up in the 70s, whether they lived in a small town or not, they love all the the pop culture that I recall. For some reason, a lot of it is still in my head. And um, the girl does end up getting bullied in the book. And some of that's taken from my own life. So for some reason, seventh, eighth grade is just kind of seared in my head. I have all these crazy memories. And some people actually have reminded me things I forgot about. And so they've been kind of woven into the book, too, some different situations and scenarios. So it was so much fun to, to write. And it's been such a blast since it came out because I'm getting just so much great feedback. People seem to love the story. And kind of an interesting thing, too, is that um, a gal wrote me a note and said how much she enjoyed the book, which is great. And she's like my age. And she said, 
I wish I would have had these conversations with my mom when I could have. She said, my dad died young, so we never were able to do that. And she said, my mom now has Alzheimer's and we can't talk anymore. She said, reading your book just makes me wish I would have been able to do it or would have done this and see what life was like for my mom growing up, which was probably in the 40s or the 30s. And people are saying that to me too, like that they're actually reading these book, the book with their daughters or their sons. And just to, to say, this is what life was like for me or their grandchildren too. Some people are reading with their grandchildren. So that's really, it's so gratifying to hear that kind of feedback. You know, one of the things about being a writer is getting that feedback, as you mentioned, and there's nothing that makes a writer more happy than receiving a letter. Someone finds your address and they send uh-huh. you a piece of mail and say, you know, uh-huh. what you wrote really touched me. Or they send you an email or a Facebook or a mm-hmm. Twitter message. So it's always great to be affirmed in what we do as writers uh, to know that really we are making an impact, you know. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess you, this is a podcast about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what role does Mary play in your life as a writer and as an author oh yeah absolutely I am very devoted to the Blessed Mother and I pray the rosary every day um, I how how she really has been impactful in my writing life is years ago at a previous um, Catholic marketing network event um, someone was doing a presentation and saying like if you really want an agent and of course we all want agents right said, you may want to consider choosing the Blessed Mother to be your agent. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like perfect. Because I, I wear a, like a Marian necklace every single day. And so, I mean, she's such a big part of my life as it is anyhow. I like that has been the best advice. And I will tell you, it's, it's, she's just been so wonderful. And I have a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary that's sitting right next to my laptop I look at it all the time. Every morning when I start my day, um, I'll start with, you know, the memorari or other prayers specifically to her. And it's just, I just feel her presence all the time. And I'm really trying to make her proud. And I'm trying to be the kind of mom like she was and the kind of wife and a mother like she was and try to model my life after hers. It's a work in progress, as you can imagine. But but I will say some beautiful things have happened. Um, when when you talked about people saying that, you know, getting feedback, I actually have a whole file on my computer just called gratifying emails when people send me really nice emails about my work or whatever. And um, it, one of the, the the most gratifying things to hear from somebody like right off the bat was your book reminds me of Gone with the Wind, you know, the first book in the Heaven Intended series, The World Such as Heaven Intended. I was like, I mean, that's like my absolute favorite book. I couldn't even believe that anybody would make that correlation. I was just like, shocked but the interesting thing is it's been in the back of my mind for like years like maybe this could be a movie maybe this could be the the updated version of gone with the wind and um i didn't particularly reach out to anybody but like i said especially when the the pandemic hit last year because all i was doing was basically writing from home because everything else i was furloughed from and um people just started reaching out to me and I had no idea how they found me. And this is a God thing and a blessed mother thing. But like I said, all sorts of entities, writers, producers, um, financers, everything under the sun, people were contacting me about my, my book series, 
with a, a, a strong interest in either making it into a set of movies or a limited run series on a streaming service. So right now we have a lot of options that, and I'm looking for, for the blessed mother to kind of show me the way every morning I pray the acts prayer, it's adoration, contrition, Thanksgiving, supplication. And so every morning I ask God to show me the way, show me what step I need. It doesn't have to be a big step. And I also pray to St. Teresa because of the little ways, show me just that little next step I need to do that email I need to send that phone call I need to do to send me in the right direction. And I pray that throughout the day, you know, I ask the blessed mother, just, just to show me who I should reach out to, because I know it's not going to be a straight shot from here to there. It's going to be kind of up and down, up and down. But if this is God's will, this will happen. And if, if the blessed mother, and I know she's by my side every single day. And if this isn't meant to happen, it's not meant to happen. I'll, I'm so blessed lucky and blessed it's the name of my uh, my newest story by the way i feel so lucky and blessed every day because i'm i have such a beautiful life i have a wonderful husband wonderful family i mean my husband john and i every day we just talk about gratitude we live a life of gratitude and yeah and like i was saying to the blessed mother she's just a part of my day every single day i interact with her and I love reading. I've read, you know, some of your books, and I've read lots and lots of books by Catholic authors that um, are nonfiction about marrying devotions and just all sorts of things. So I, I, I read a lot, but I split between fiction and nonfiction, and the nonfiction almost exclusively is Catholic nonfiction because I just want to deepen my faith and deepen my devotion to the Blessed Mother. I love how prayer is really at the center of what you do, allowing God to direct your life. And we know that's what Mary allowed herself to do at the Annunciation. She really allowed God to change the plans for her life, that as she vowed to live a life of virginity, never did she imagine that she would have a child. But by God's grace, mm-hmm. she remained a virgin after as before, ever virgin, but yet had the Christ child. So she said, let it be done to me according to your will. And that's really, it seems, what you're doing, allowing God's will uh, to inform everything that you do. Today, we've been speaking with Amanda Lauer, who is a writer who has written many marvelous books. I'd encourage you, if you love fiction, check out the series as Heaven Intended. And if people want to learn more about you or find your books, how can they do that, Amanda? Well, all of my books are on Amazon. So the whole Heaven Intended series, plus anything but groovy, treasures, visible and invisible. Plus, I worked with the ambassador to the Holy See from um, Hungary. So that'd be Archduke Edward Habsburg on a book called Dubby, The Double-Headed Eagle. So that's on there as well. So Amazon is quick and easy, but also my publisher, fullquiverpublishing.com. And another place, too, would be CatholicTeenBooks.com. Okay. Quite a few of my books are available through them, too. So. Well, wonderful. And I encourage people to learn more about you, find you on social media, media follow you there, and uh, we'll wait for your next book in October, uh, Freedom Such as Heaven Intended. So thanks so much for being with me today, Amanda. Uh, thank you, Father. I truly appreciate your time. I really do. You have been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. If you don't mind, please leave a review of How They Love Mary on Apple Podcasts. Share the podcast with your family or your friends. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, 
on Stitcher or wherever people find their podcasts. And if you don't mind, please give me a follow on social media at the handle at FR Edward Looney. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, let's remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless. Mm-hmm.